Today at Break Africa from the Voice of America. I am James Botti in Washington. Today is Wednesday, December 7th, and here are some of the stories we are covering. Liberia's Army Chief of Staff warns politicians to behave themselves or face military intervention. If you decide to take the law into your own hands, and if the LMP cannot control your actions and or is overwhelmed, we will exercise our constitutional duty. The DRC government says M23 rebels massacre death toll is close to 300. Sudan's new political agreement raises hope of ending violence. South Africa's president asked court to overturn report recommending impeachment inquiry. We'll have an update. Malawi police arrest the country's anti-corruption director over leaked audio. They're saying making use of speech capable of prejudicing a person against the party to judicial proceedings, contrary to section 1131D of the penal code. So essentially it's to do with the leaked audio. And Zambia's opposition threatens the president with impeachment if he goes ahead to sell the presidential jet. Those stories plus Samson O'Malley's special Wednesday morning World Cup sports are coming up on Daybreak Africa. The chief of staff of the Liberian army has issued a strong warning to members of the government and the opposition to behave themselves or face military intervention. Major General Prince Charles Johnson issued what he termed a caveat on Tuesday, asking both parties to use the court system when they feel dissatisfied and to not resort to violence. His statement comes after unknown men attacked opposition leader Louis Brown during an appearance at a local radio station on Monday night. Brown has planned a rally to be staged on December 17, but the ruling coalition for Democratic Change Party has said it will hold counter-protest. Major General Johnson says the army will take charge if the police are overwhelmed by violence. His statement caused panic among Liberians on Tuesday and brought back memories of the 1980 coup led by Samuel Doe. Reporter Moses Gaziewu in Monrovia spoke with the chief of staff of the Liberian army. A caveat for whosoever may feel or is disenchanted as we approach the 2023 elections to use the court system as was seen in 2017 presidential and 2020 midterm senatorial elections. If you decide to take the law into your own hands, disregarding the rule of law, regardless of your current or past status, and if the LMP cannot control your actions and or is overwhelmed, we will exercise our constitutional duties. You said anyone who feels disenchanted can use the rule of law like the 2017 elections. If anyone deviates from that, the armed forces will step in. Parties feel disenchanted, they went to the Supreme Court. We just saw it during the time. What we're saying, let's use the rule of law. You said no one will be given permission to temper of the high-end peace of Liberia. We went through close to 15 years of civil war. We have relatively 19 years. The need to sustain this is crucial to our institution. And based on the Constitution, our mission, according to the National Defense Act of 2008, we will be able to support the people of Liberia in sustaining this peace. 
There's already calls that you should not be speaking in that form and manner. Instead, it should be the national police because you are responsible for the external security, not internal security. Again, people need to go and read the Constitution. They say domestic and external. So both internal and external. You know, I think we need a school. And sometimes we need a school somewhere. I, I agree with some politicians we have that don't know how the military work. And I think it's all because we have had international forces here for a long time, so a lot of them don't read and don't understand. They need to go and check or read. The National Defense Act of 2008, Chapter 2, Section 2.3e, our mission to support the police. If you read the caveat, what did I say? If the police is overwhelmed, we will not sit and wait. <laughs> Your statement has caused a bit of panic across Liberia and even outside, looking at the history of the army in Liberia. Why should it be? I don't think so. I think it's the issue of reading and comprehending. I think comprehension is a big challenge in our country. And I think even at the highest level, there are some senior government officials that I think still need to. Are you assuring the, the population that there's no plan by the military to have any other action that will top with democratic rule? I can reassure you. Despite the wave of what we're seeing in our region, in ECOWAS, this armed forces of Liberia will not revert to what happened in 1980. Not honor this leadership. That might just be a statement, but actions might be different. You, but you, can, see, you can see the action. We are in our barracks. Do you see our Are you not thinking about overthrow? Never. Not only this new administration. I think why some people are a bit not happy, and I think this is the issue. The armed forces of Liberia will support the ballot box. That's two elections. Have people been asking you if you have a takeover? Well, I would tell you, <laughs> for that, it's like I'm saying they, they know they don't even, nobody can come to me, but I will tell you something. I've had a couple of friends, especially those in the United States, who have been in back to some of us using codes and say, look, this is the time for the armed forces of Liberia. You know, most time I, I say, even, not even President Joe Biden can convince the armed forces of Liberia to do anything in this country. We will stick and we will uphold the tenets of democracy. Major General Prince Charles Johnson is the Chief of Staff of the Armed Forces of Liberia. He spoke with reporter Moses Gaziewu in Monrovia. Sudan civilian and military leaders signed a power-sharing deal on Monday that raised hopes of ending violent clashes between security and protesters since last year's coup. The deal was widely, though not universally, praised as a step toward a civilian-led transitional government and democratic elections. Michael Atit reports from Khartoum. More than 50 Sudanese political forces, civil groups, and the military agreed to a framework agreement designed to pave the way for the civilian-led transitional government. The agreement calls for immediate security and military reforms, which include combining all militias, including the Sudan paramilitary rapid support forces, into one unified army. It also stresses the need to resolve issues regarding transitional justice in the country. The move raises hope for ending continued clashes between pro-democracy protesters and the security forces. Some regional and international bodies have praised the Sudanese leaders for reaching the deal. The UN Human Rights Chief Volker Turk said in a statement Monday that the agreement was an important step toward a political settlement. Turk reiterated the commitment of his office to supporting the people of Sudan in their aspirations for peace, justice, democracy and the rule of law and to ensuring that human rights and accountability remain central for the transitional process. Khartoum resident Sahar al-Juzuli hailed the civilian parties and the military for agreeing to begin a new transition. She says it has been more than a year since citizens have gone without essential services. She said the situation with Sudan currently is complicated internally and externally. 
So the next phase needs everyone to sacrifice and forget their personal and narrow interests that have cost more lives and bloodshed, she added. Farah Abbas, who lost his 28-year-old son, Abbas Farah, when troops opened fire on protesters outside the military headquarters in Khartoum in June 2019, says neither he nor other families whose relatives were killed by security forces have received justice. He says... They will continue with true revolutionaries to reject any deal that does not serve justice and accountability. Abbas said they still have real revolutionaries who continue to pressure the military on the streets. He said the resistance committees are the true leaders of change in Sudan. Whoever thinks that our people will surrender due to any forms of forces used against civilians is wrong, Abbas added. Sudanese writer and former diplomat to the United States, Meki al-Maghribi, says Monday's agreement is overdue because the country was headed down to an unknown road. This agreement will not solve all problems, but it's a very good step. It puts disputes and complications in the track of long-awaited dialogue. Sudanese people and friends of Sudan should manage their expectations. All should be more realistic. Officials from the African Union and European Union congratulated the Sudanese parties for reaching the agreement and urged them to engage in genuine dialogue to complete the remaining tasks that lead to the formation of a transitional government. Michael Atid for VOA News, Khartoum, Sudan. The Democratic Republic of Congo says the civilian death toll from what it calls a massacre by rebels of the March 23 movement, also known as M23, has risen to 272. Ruf Omar reports from Goma in eastern DRC. The increased death toll was announced at a press briefing Monday in Kinshasa by Minister of Industry and former governor of North Kivu province, Julien Paluku. The Congolese army last week accused the March 23 movement rebels, M23, of killing at least 50 civilians in North Kivu's Kishishe village. The government later increased the estimates to more than 100. But Paluku said figures from local groups put the death toll closer to 300. In total, he says, about 272 civilians were killed. Paluku adds the rhetoric from Rwanda's President Kagame is to say that it is the rebel democratic forces for the liberation of Rwanda that are being killed. It is the armed groups. But in Kishishe, he says, most of the people who were killed were in an Adventist church. A spokesman for the M23 rebels, Lawrence Kanyuka, told VOA that the group did not target civilians and blamed the Congolese army for breaking a November 23rd truce. But M23 said what it called stray bullets from clashes killed eight civilians. The fresh fighting broke out just days after the president of the DRC in Rwanda, meeting in Angola, agreed to a ceasefire. The M23 rebels were not part of the deal, but since the agreement, there had been no fight reported between the Congolese army and M23 until last Thursday. Kinshasa accuses Kigali for supporting the M23 rebels, which it denies. U.S. Secretary of State Antony Blinken on Monday urged Rwanda's President Kagame to seize all supports for M23 and called for all sides to respect the Angola truce. 
Separate week-long talks in Nairobi between the DRC government, armed groups in eastern Congo and regional leaders wrapped up Tuesday with calls for more efforts for peace with talks in the DRC. The main rebel group, M23, was not invited to the talks because they refused to give up territory seized since fighting erupted a year ago. The M23 rebels are mainly Congolese ethnic Tutsis, who say the government broke a deal to integrate them into the army. They began taking territory in November 2021 and in October moved towards to the city of Goma. The East African community has deployed hundreds of troops from Burundi and Kenya as part of a regional force to try to quell the violence. Ruth Omar for VOA News, Goma, Democratic Republic of Congo. You are listening to Daybreak Africa on the Voice of America. I'm James Barty in Washington. Today is Wednesday, December 7th. For more African news and features, visit our website at voaafrica.com. Connect with us on all social media platforms. We are on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. in Malawi arrested the head of the country's anti-corruption bureau, ACB, on Tuesday over an audio recording leaked in January. Director General Martha Chizuma was heard on the recording discussing ongoing corruption cases with an unknown person. Chizuma was quickly released, and the official who complained about the audio clip has now been suspended, as Lamek Masina reports from Blantyre. Let me say this, Ed. Eh? Mm. I know it's true. Mm. This case is lead both in the UK and in Malawi. In the leaked audio, the director general of the anti-corruption bureau, Martha Jizuma, was heard talking with an unknown person about how some churches, judges, lawyers and government officials were trying to broke her effort to handle corruption cases involving British-based businessman Zuneth Sattar. During the State of the Nation address on January 24, President Chakwera described Chizuma's action as unfortunate but said he would not dismiss her. However, on Tuesday, Chizuma was arrested. Her lawyer, Martha Kaukonde, told VOA she was not surprised with the arrest because there were many several attempts to get Kizuma detained. There was a case uh, that was commenced in Longway that was uh, thrown out by the court, and uh, another case uh, came up in Blanta. Uh, it was also thrown out. A third one resurfaced in Nzuzu, and uh, we proceeded to apply for review in the High Court in Nirongwe. And the High Court agreed with us that uh, the process being done was supposed to be stopped because the decision was already made in Nirongwe and Blantyre. So it was an abuse of court process. Kaukonde said Chizuma has since been charged, and she's now on a police bail. Uh, they're saying making use of speech capable of prejudicing a person against the party to judicial proceedings contrary to section 1131D of the penal code. So essentially it's to do with the leaked audio um, in January this year. Police said in a statement Tuesday that the arrest follows a complaint from Director of Public Prosecutions, Stephen Gayuni. Peter Kalaya is a spokesperson for Malawi's police. Uh, Dr. Gayuni alleged in his statement that he was injured by the allegations that were made by the Director General uh, in a leaked audio clip in January this year. Uh, Malawians should know that High Court Judge Annabelle Talimanja ruled in September this year 
that any individual or party that felt aggrieved by contents of that audio was at liberty to lodge a complaint with us, the police. The arrest of Jizumam comes a few days after the Anti-Corruption Bureau arrested Malawi's President Saulo Chirimam. Chirima is accused of receiving payments amounting to 280,000 US dollars and other items from British businessman Zuneth Sata in return for awarding Malawi's government contracts. On its Facebook page account, the main opposition Democratic Progressive Party said the arrest of Chizuma was an attempt by government authorities to block her plans to summon four government officials this week, including two cabinet ministers, over corruption-related issues. Moses Nkandawile is chairperson for the National Anti-Corruption Alliance. He says the arrest of Jizuma has a negative impact on the fight against corruption. We are frustrated, we are disappointed, uh, given the fact that uh, there are a number of high-profile cases that have been put on the wrist, like the Sata case, the Nokuma Fuel case, and many other cases. And therefore, arresting Martha at this critical juncture uh, is very frustrating. The charge which Jizuma was supposed to answer to has been dropped. And Justice Minister Titus Mvalo told Parliament Tuesday afternoon that the government has suspended the Director for Public Prosecutions pending investigation into the arrest of Jizuma. Lamek Masina for VOA News, Blanta, Malawi. South Africa's President Cyril Ramaphosa is asking the country's constitutional court to overturn a parliamentary report that says he may have broken the law and could lead to his removal from office. The report released last week said Ramaphosa may have broken his oath of office by hiding more than half a million dollars in a sofa at his game ranch that was then stolen but not reported to police. The scandal has led to calls for impeachment proceedings against him. Vicky Stark reports from Cape Town, South Africa. The executive committee of the ruling African National Congress party said that it will vote against adopting the report. The party's acting secretary general, Paul Mashatile, said that while the president was taking the matter on review, he would also subject himself to scrutiny by the party's integrity commission. What does that mean? It means the president continues with his duties as president of the ANC and the Republic. But the ANC agreed that the president must proceed to be held accountable. Political analyst Professor Lesiba Tefu from the University of South Africa says the ANC's stance isn't surprising. They always rally around the leadership. They tend to close ranks, especially when they feel that they are under siege from the opposition. But Tefu says Ramaphosa was a vast improvement on former President Jacob Zuma, who was embroiled in multiple corruption cases. He says it's important to note who is calling for Ramaphosa to resign. In the main, some would say, are those who have never supported him, and there are those who have at least some clouds hanging over their head. There are those who the law enforcement agencies are uh, circling them. So one way or another, they are trying to derail him, and by so doing, they could derail the process that may lead them ending up 
in jail. Tefu says he expected Ramaphosa to challenge the legality of the report. He says the independent panel of two retired judges and one lawyer had only 30 days plus a 13-day extension to do their work. And they had to deal only with the evidence presented to them. They could not investigate. And they concede that um, had we been given ample time, right, we could have done better. But given the constraints and the brief, by the way, we could not extend it by ourselves. The panel wasn't convinced of President Ramaphosa's version of where the stolen money came from. Former spy boss Arthur Fraser said it was between 4 million and 8 million US dollars given to him by several African and Middle Eastern countries. But Ramaphosa said a Sudanese businessman, Hazim Mustafa, bought 20 buffaloes from his game farm on Christmas Day in 2019 and paid 580,000 US dollars for them. The panel noted in the report that it was odd that Ramaphosa did not supply them with other information about the buyer. Sky News this week published an interview with Mustafa, who said he purchased the buffaloes. He said he declared the $580,000 at OR Tambo International Airport in Johannesburg. Tax attorney Jean de Toy says it should be easy for anyone wanting to prove this. He says tax law requires anyone who enters the country with foreign currency to declare it. So if he claims that he, at entering the, the airport, he did that, he would have gone through customs and you, there would have been a record of a declaration of the currency. A court date for Ramaphosa's constitutional court review has not been set yet. Vicky Stark for VOA News, Cape Town, South Africa. It is time now for our special Wednesday morning World Cup sports. And here is Samson Umali in Abuja, Nigeria. A very good Wednesday morning to you, Samson. Good Wednesday morning to you too, James. We begin the sport with the very latest news from Qatar, where Morocco became just the fourth African team and the first Arab nation to reach the last eight of the World Cup after Cameroon did it in 1990, Senegal in 2002, and Ghana in 2010. Ashraf Hakimi, born in Madrid, born and raised in Spain, can send them home. Morocco with the chance to win it and go through. Hakimi gets it done! Oh, what a moment for Morocco! Ashraf Hakimi! The Atlas Lions of Morocco beat former champions Spain on penalties to reach the quarterfinals of the 2022 FIFA World Cup after the game ended in a nil-nil draw after 120 minutes of action. The result means Morocco advanced to the World Cup quarterfinals for the first time where they will face Portugal. Moroccan goalkeeper Bono Yassin proved to be the hero for the Atlas Lions as he saved spot kicks from Carlos Soler and Sergio Basquets. I'm so happy for the team. They did a great job all the game. Uh, we understood the game from the, the, the start. So I'm so happy for, the, for this win. 
Ashraf Hakimi, who was born in Spain, buried the winning penalty with the cheekiest of panenkas, chipping the ball gently into the middle of the goal to send the thousands of Moroccan fans inside the Education City Stadium into dreamland. You see, uh, I don't have words that uh, describe uh, how I feel, how is, how is the support for the team. Uh, it's amazing, the, the three games where they support every time. We are behind us, and I don't know to say. I, I want to say thank you, thank you so much, and we keep going, we keep going. There were wild scenes of celebrations in Morocco and Doha as fans went into a frenzy mode after the tension-soaked penalty kicks went in favor of the North Africans. Football historian Jero Udo told Daybreak Africa Sports shortly after the game what this victory means for Morocco and indeed the entire African continent. Uh, Morocco's qualification for the quarterfinal, their victory against Spain is uh, a very uh, momentous and a very, very memorable one for the Atlas Lion and for Africa. It now makes them the fourth African side uh, to make it to the quarterfinal of the FIFA World Cup. But Morocco's own is unique in the sense that this is the first time a North African side and an Arab nation as a whole will make it to the quarterfinal of uh, the FIFA World Cup. So it's a very unique one. And I want to uh, wish the Atlas Lions of Morocco the very best of luck. They've played a very fine brand of football, tactically very, very astute, compact and disciplined. And uh, they've really uh, shown high level of technicality. And we're wishing the Atlas Lions of Morocco the best of luck. And that's it for Daybreak Africa Sports. I am Samson Omale in Abuja, Nigeria. It's back to you, James, in Washington. Thank you, Samson. Have a great day. And that's it for this Wednesday, December 7th edition of Daybreak Africa. On behalf of the Daybreak Africa crew, I am James Barton in Washington wishing you will have